I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Well, welcome to another episode of Thriving Matters podcast. And we have none other than John Murray John's a photographer and a behavioralist from Ireland, but I'm not going to do his introduction justice. So how are you today, John? And tell us a little bit about what you do, because it is absolutely fascinating. Thanks very much. Uh, Thanks for having me as well. Uh, Yeah, what I do is I mix human behavioral sciences with photography. So about 5%, even though I call myself a headshot photographer, about 5% of what I do is actually taking photographs. The rest of it is emerging things like cognitive behavioral therapy, psychology, anatomy, physiology, endocrinology, which is the study of hormones, and physiognomy as well, which is the study of the movements of the face and the structures of the face. So I all these things together to teach people to unconditionally love themselves and their faces. So that's what I do. Well, I don't think I have come across anyone that does this. There's only a small percentage of you who do this work. I think I'm probably the only person in the world who's doing it. It came from thing that happened with the guy who trained me is Peter Hurley, the top headshot photographer in the world. I trained with him in 2014. And after I did, Peter had met a psychologist named Anna Rowley. And Anna was offered the chance to have her headshots taken by Peter for free. And she said that she was trying to come down with tropical skin diseases and everything so she wouldn't have to do it because she felt so uncomfortable in front of the camera. But when she did stand in front of the camera, what happened is she really enjoyed the experience and didn't know why. So she went off and researched it. And between herself and Peter, they put a thing together called Cyphotology. Now, Peter is the top headshot photographer in the world. He's on the American sailing team. He's just one of these people who's disgustingly good at absolutely everything he does. Um, You know, that one friend that you just hate to hang around with. (laughs) But Anna's the same. She's kind of a superstar psychologist. She works with GoDaddy and Microsoft and all these kind of big multinationals. So they weren't able to maintain the idea that they had. So it kind of ended up because of my background and stuff like that. So I have medical background. Um, I have a huge interest in people. I studied uh, finance and psychology in college. So all of that stuff all kind of came together and I was able to kind of continue to practice, but in a little bit of a different fashion because I was doing it all myself rather than it being two different people. So I've been continuing on the practice since. So I know Peter's putting something together at the moment. Um, I'm not sure if it's launched yet, so I probably shouldn't be saying anything, but he's working with another psychologist at the moment on something else very similar. but it's still kind of me on my own putting this practice together. So, Wow, that is just totally fascinating. And it fits so well with what our episodes are all about. Because, you know, everyone can hear that great Irish accent of yours and that cheekiness that always comes through with an Irishman. So I started to laugh when you sort of said, oh, I shouldn't really be telling you this about Peter. But we really talk to ordinary people. And I consider you fairly ordinary 
are you doing some extraordinary things? And that's what thriving is all about for me. So you're a leader in your own field. You have, by the sounds of it, some sensational mentors in Peter and Anna. Would I be right there? Yeah, look, well, I've mentors all over the place in different ways and forms. I'm a member of Junior Chamber International as well, and I've got lots of great. Well, I'm actually a national director of training and development for JCI. Um, so I have amazing mentors within JCI. It's mm. this worldwide organization. I have mentors in people like Joseph McGuire, who's a yes. facial profiler. You know, yes. I, I get to hang around with some amazing people I get to work with amazing people and I have done for a few years as well so you know I've been very lucky in my network I suppose I've been very lucky in the kind of company I keep which is pretty cool well I think uh, one of the interesting things about people is that I do believe that you attract people that you need at certain times in your life in your career that you can attract people who just want to use you but on the whole we attract those that we need, whether they're going to challenge us or inspire us or just take us down another road that, or perhaps branch that we never thought of. So I'm a bit of a believer in that. You've got a can-do, show-up attitude, John. So that's why you're doing some amazing work and the psychology behind headshots and why people either love or hate having their photograph taken because you're talking to someone tonight who will admit that she doesn't have many of her young photos left. <laughs> <laughs> Burned them uh, all in a can. So I don't want that portion of my life anymore. Like that episode <laughs> of Friends where they're yeah. born and look at the ex-boyfriend stuff in a, in a, in a den. Um, That's right. That's right. And the hardest, I thought, when I left this large organisation, I had to do my photo shoots. It was one of those things I really had to back myself into to get done. And it was amazing. I actually felt it's quite an experience when you don't enjoy or previously hadn't enjoyed the photos that you had taken. <laughs> anyway, there's probably a whole psychoanalysis of me going on in your head as we speak. No, you're not. <laughs> You're not alone. You know, about 60% of people in the world are what we call the miniatures. So they do back away when they stand in front of the camera. A lot of people like that will back away in real life as well. From responsibility, from speaking up around the boardroom table, you know, people like that are very like that, both in front of the camera and in their own personal lives. Um, you know, there's kind of four types of people in front of the camera. There's people who own it and they're just like Barack Obama or Jill Scott. They're just oh. them happy enough yeah. in their own skin. They just experience life as life. They don't really hold on to rejections or failures. Um, in front of the camera, they'll have their photographs taken. They don't really care what the results look like. They're just happy enough and it resembles them. Yeah. Uh, then there's posers. Are, it's very clear who the poser is because they're the ones pulling the duck face or they have those kind of go-to poses that they do. <laughs> they pretend to love themselves, but really they have huge esteem issues and they're the person who will be in the office environment and they will be the person who's the first up to the water cooler to have a chat um, the gossip about other people that cause problems. See, the whole thing is that they want to evangelize over certain things that they're really good at because they don't want other people to know that they may fail if they stray onto something different. Um, so what they do is they really push themselves in different in the, in the areas they know that they're really good at. They're just people with imposter syndrome, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you have the yeah. diminishers who back away, and then you have people called avoiders as well who will avoid all sorts of responsibility. 
they won't stand in front of the camera. If you point the camera in their direction, they just run away. In front of the camera and in real life, the behaviors are very similar. Just being a diminisher is you're one of 60% of people on the earth, so you're not that uncommon. <laughs> Isn't that good to know? I'm not that uncommon. <laughs> I love it. No. It's absolutely fascinating when you talk about that because even when we talk about leadership, I mean, there's different roles. If you did a personality type, if you did a disc, do you come out as, you know, the dominant type or the conscientious or the sensei? There's a whole lot Myers-Briggs that we all talk about. So personality does come out in the headshots as well. What you're talking about is personality and behavior traits and perhaps habits or preferences of behavior. Would yeah, yeah, well, most definitely because the face represents everything that we are. You know, if, with physiognomy, what you're looking at is you're looking at inherent things that are both kind of learned practices and, and they're genetically passed down. If you look at somebody's eyebrows, you can actually see how they absorb information and whether they're inquisitive or not. Because right between your eyebrows, you have a muscle called the corrugator muscle. It's yeah. like the inside of corrugated cardboard in its shape. So that draws your eyebrows together. And when you're inquisitive, you draw your eyebrows together. So pretty much everything that happens within your head happens on your face and maybe your body as well. So if you're happy and confident, you look happy and confident. If you're sad, you look sad. So when you yeah. do things or when you think a certain way, what happens is that your physiology changes. So your face shape changes, the, the movements of the muscles of your face. We've got 16,384 different musculature variations on the face and we do them all day long. So when you question things, what you do is you draw your eyebrows together. And when you draw them together and down, and if you do that a lot, it's like your mother told you when you were a child, you know, don't do that with your face, you get stuck. Because that <laughs> actually happens. So you see people with this line up between the eyebrows and it's an active mind line. It's, it's basically the musculature has stuck itself there. Um, what it also does as well, because the, the shape of the muscle and the way the muscle pulls towards the bridge of the nose, what it actually does as well is that you end up with vertical eyebrow hairs on the inside um, of the eyebrows. Yeah. So just on the bridge of the nose. And what people do as well is on the outside of their eyebrows. So heading back towards their ears, you tend to see a kind of an arch, a high arch on the eyebrows out there because the frontalis muscles are pulling upwards as well at the same time. So the muscles that come over the top of your head and straight down into your forehead. So as that pulls up the eyebrows and you pull the eyebrows towards your nose, what you're physically doing is changing the way the hair sits and you're changing in your eyebrows and the musculature. So it actually sticks on the face. So you can read stuff like that off people who are naturally inquisitive. They want to know more information. Um, they want all the information before they make judgments on things. And that sort of stuff is all written on your face. So, you know, even when you look at somebody in a photograph, even though we might understand it or we might not understand why we feel a certain way about people, we do pick up on that. And every single person has a personality. And if you're not seeing their personality in the photograph, I suppose, it's, um, or in their headshots, you know, it's not a great headshot, to be honest, because there is, yes. there's life yeah. in every single person. And they deserve to be able to see themselves, I suppose. Yeah, so you're an inquisitive person? Me, most definitely. You're looking at my <laughs> headshots. And yeah, I can see your headshot. And I've spoken to you before we recorded yeah, this. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. And I know they've used a lot of the facial recognition work for Don't Lie to Me. Isn't there a uh, television show that is now... Yeah, Lie to Me is micro Lie to Me, yeah, sorry, yeah. yes. Yeah, Lie to Me. 
and a lot of the techniques are being used by forensics to help solve major murders and crimes. Yeah, so yeah. the likes to that is hugely important around forensics because they can even look at a bone structure. There was a case here in Ireland a couple of years ago where a body had been found in a woods and nobody knew who he was. He was so badly decomposed that he was basically just a skeleton. He'd been there for really 15 or 20 years and nobody knew who it was. And the police here, the guards did, they gave the structure of the bone. I think they gave the skull to a college in Scotland and some forensic anthropologist was able to model the face mm. and he was really accurate. Like he had his hair color from DNA and basically they made a model of the person it was and they put muscles on his face, they put fat onto his face, they had a hairline, they had all of this sort of stuff based on just a skull, look at a bare skull. Um, so it was absolute, and the genetic code from the bone as well, which was oh. amazing, you know, the, the fact that they could do that and they could tell what he actually looked like. And then when you see a photograph of him side by side with the model, it's really, really close. That's way beyond my kind of comprehension <laughs> or way beyond my skill level, but it's That's absolutely funny. fascinating. Yeah, and even exactly. with the facial profiling, you know, it's used by the CIA, the FBI, and they use it to look at the behavioral patterns of people and the way they're, they're predisposed to be based on their genetics. So it's, it's pretty cool. Oh, it's absolutely fascinating. And what I've learned just from speaking to you is just as fascinating. So I know where I'll be going to have another look. Now, usually when I speak to my guests, I ask them, what have you recently been proud of? So I'm wondering if I could move you to there. Has something happened recently that you actually have been pretty chuffed about? Yeah, it happens a lot. Every single time I work with somebody, I get something from it. But some people react a lot more. I have a blog post on my website. It says, I make people cry for a living and I love it. <laughs> and yeah, there's a bit of a sadist in me, I think. You know, sometimes people come in and they're so nervous that they cry before we work with them. And sometimes <laughs> they cry after the fact that we've worked with them. I had a girl in the studio there a while back and she came in. She's a global director of a company. She's a fairly big, well-known company. But on the way in the door, she had told me that she can't look at herself in the mirror. Wow. I get that a lot well I get something similar a lot I get the I hope you're good with Photoshop um I hate my face I hate my nose I hate my ears I'm too fat can you do anything for double chins and people apologizing as well for the fact that they're not photogenic which is crazy but I get that a lot but this was different in that she had openly admitted something very very big um something that she was holding on to very very tightly and she said that first she can't look at herself in the mirror but if she walks into the toilets in a pub or a nightclub, she, she won't go in if there's other girls in there because she feels like they're looking at them or looking at her. And I said, okay. And we put her in front of the camera and we put her in front of the lights. And what I do is I take photographs of people and I explain why we're doing everything. And I bring them out and I show them the screen and we talk about what we see. And then we go and we fix it because the camera doesn't see what we see. It sees two-dimensionally. We see three-dimensionally. We have to add huge amounts of light in for the camera to be able to pick up the detail that the human eye sees. Um, there's a lot of different things. So we have to overcome the failures of the camera. So we all look like a human tone with eyeballs on it when we stand in front of the camera. Everybody has double chins. So we have to do things to counteract the failures the technology gives us. So I took some photographs of her. We had a bit of fun. I think she was in the studio for like 90 minutes. 
And on the way out the door, she came back into the studio and she said that they were going to a bar up the road from the studio for a bit of lunch and for a drink afterwards. And she gave me a big hug and she told me that the first thing she was going to do when she went into the pub was walk into the toilets to look at herself in the mirror. Oh. And my eyes were sweating walking back into the studio, you know, it was, um, <laughs> it was a big moment. I mean, you know, that happens a huge amount. Maybe not everybody has a story similar to that or not everybody has a story as big as that. Um, sometimes it's, I've had guys in the studio from some of the companies that I work with and they've stood in front of the camera. I've taken some photographs and the very first time I showed them the images after we've corrected things like their posture and after we've done certain things and they see themselves unfiltered, no Photoshop, there's no magical dwarf who looks similar to them, but better looking, you know, we don't have any of that in the studio. I've just taken photographs and the camera is connected directly to a computer. And when they see themselves on the screen, you know, I've had people burst into tears time and time again, just, the relief that they're not fat and old and ugly and horrible and they're not where they thought they were, you know, oh. they're better looking or they're more comfortable in their own skin and they look happy and confident and comfortable. And that's what I want to see because yeah. we've got this huge gap between how we see ourselves and what we think the rest of the world sees and a gap between who we believe we are, oh. and who we think the rest of the world expects us to be. And for some people that gap is enormous. It's um, huge, isn't it? Yeah. And when you look at our younger generations and the type of influences, the magazines, the posting, the Instagram, the perfect life looks like, it's a huge pressure. And so I like this notion of unfiltered because it fits really nicely into the work that I do around emotional intelligence, where you look at how self-aware are you of yourself and then how can you be aware of others? And as a leader, how do you know how others experience you? That mirror can often tell you a different story to the truth. And I like the unfiltered truth, which is reality. And we often construct these stories that are totally unreal and untrue. <laughs> Even from a, an external point of view, when we see ourselves in the mirror, we think we look like that, but we don't because you're the only person in the whole world who sees that. So when you see a photograph of yourself, it's the wrong way around and your brain wants to figure out why you don't look like you. So what you do is you stare at the picture you scan it really quickly and you look for one thing that you can identify that teaches you why you don't look like the person in the mirror. And you'll go to one thing on your face that makes you feel uncomfortable. You pick it out. It'll always be the same thing. And in every single photograph, you go to that one thing on your face you don't like. And you blame that on making you feel the way you feel. But we are all empathetic. You know, we have cells yeah. called mirror receptors in our brain that teach us to see and to understand basically how somebody feels so that we can mimic it to be socially appropriate. If you mm. don't walk into a room after a funeral full of energy telling everybody how great your day is going because it wouldn't be right. Yeah. So what you do is you look at the shape of their shoulders, the position their head is in, their eyebrows, their lower eyelids, and the corners of their mouth as a unit shape because all we understand as humans is shape. Mm. So when you look at somebody, you know whether they're happy. And if they're happy, you're happy with them. If they're sad, you're sad with them. And if they're uncomfortable, like the version of you that you see in a photograph, your brain tells you that person is uncomfortable, feel uncomfortable with them to be socially appropriate, even though it's only a photograph because technology gave us cameras and photographs and print media, but human psychoevolution hasn't developed at the same rate as technology. And for 90 million years, we've been able to see, but only for 200 years, we've been able to take photographs. Yeah. And for, for 180 years, we've been looking at glass-based mirrors. So, you know, 
we don't know what we look like. We're not supposed to know what we look like. And then we see photographs of ourselves that tell us that we're uncomfortable and we have the weird nose or we have the double chins or, you know, the receding hairline or whatever it is that causes you discomfort when you see a photograph. Mm. Um, and we blame that on making us feel that way. But all we're doing is we're being empathetic to the person who was uncomfortable in the first place. Mm. You know, you see a photograph of yourself at a party or a wedding where you didn't know it was being taken and you like it because... The person <laughs> in the photograph is a genuine reactive expression. Yeah. It's so you. it really looks like you. And you don't go searching that photograph for that one thing on your face you don't like because it doesn't exist in that photograph. Oh, look, I'm going to ask you about that mirror. Now, for a lot of us, when we look in the mirror, is there something we should be able to say to ourselves that actually brings us back to the unfiltered view? which is the real view, so it helps us understand and perhaps love ourselves a little bit more because a lot of the comments about taking photographs are you didn't really like who you saw and is that really who I am? Is that who others see? And if you don't have a concept of yourself that colours the way you do see yourself. So I'm wondering about the mirror. Is there something I could be doing in the morning when we're actually looking in the mirror, cleaning our teeth or <laughs> making sure the hair's right or having yeah, a Yeah, there's a lot of things that we could be doing because when you stand and look in the mirror first thing in the morning, you're looking at a tired version of yourself. You're only up out of the bed, you brush sure. your teeth, do your hair, get all this sort of stuff together. And this is something that you should be doing in front of your kids as well, you know, because we stand in front of the mirror in the morning and the kids might be running around and you say, oh, my hair is a disgrace. You know, I need my hair done. I, I don't like myself. I'm fat. Like, matter putting on weight. I've got, like, all these double chins. My nose is in bits. I don't like this. I don't like that. But what they're hearing is it's okay to crap all over yourself. Yeah. Um, so you're teaching them to not like themselves based on the things that you complain about. But when we stand in front of the mirror, the last thing that you should do before you walk away from the mirror is tell yourself one thing you like about yourself. Because what you're doing is you're breaking that chain. Even if you stand in front of the mirror and for 25 minutes you talk about how crap your hair is and how you don't like yourself, yeah. the last thing that you should do before you walk away from that mirror, and I'm really serious on this, is you should tell yourself one thing that you like about yourself. You know, it's a little bit of gratitude for the stuff that you do. Even because we're so heavily swayed by what we see, and you kind of alluded to it when you were talking about social media and influencers, there's something I talk about a lot is... I show a picture of Giselle Bunchen on the cover of Cosmopolitan magazine and I show Spider-Man and I say that these are the exact same thing. They're the very, very, very same thing. And I always get a few confused looks around the room, but because something had to happen to Peter Parker to become Spider-Man, you know, <laughs> he had to be bitten by a radioactive spider because that's not who he is. It's not who he was. Um, something had to happen to him to make him who he is. Hmm. Then you look at the photograph of Giselle and I shot fashion for a long time. You know, you might be in a room and there's one model and she's sitting there having her photograph taken in whatever jeans or whatever jacket or for whatever makeup brand or whatever watch brand. But you might have 40 people in the room. That photograph is going to pass through about 40 different hands before it actually gets onto the cover of that magazine because that person is sitting there and they have spots. Their hair is not perfect. You know, there's so much going on. You have a photographer, you have a lighting assistant, you've got photographer's assistant, you've got brand, whoever's from the brand of the clothes or whatever they're wearing. Um, you've got people from the magazine, you've got people from the publishing house, you've also got people from the retouchers. So when you send, you take that photograph, you send it to a retoucher, 
then you've got a skin retoucher who'll do the skin, you've got a clothing retoucher who'll do the clothes, and you've got a hair retoucher who'll do the hair. And then that photograph goes forward to an editor who'll pick a photograph and put it into a magazine. So something had to happen to that person to become the person you see in the magazine because mm. their skin is not like that. They're probably being slimmed down. There's a lot of different things that have happened to that image to make it what you see. So what we're seeing is not the real world. It's make-believe like Spider-Man. But yeah. when I talk about that, I look to talk about Superman because Superman is Superman. All of the superpowers he has, he was born with. He is Superman. But what he does when he goes out into the world is he does the exact same thing that we do. We try to blend in because we don't want to be standing out from the tribe because if we stand out in front of the tribe, we might be attacked. And that's something that goes back to you know, our genetics. So we're genetically predisposed to try and avoid being singled out. So we don't want to stand out and we don't want to tell ourselves how great we are. And we don't want to do all these things that we should be doing. But when you look at the things that we do day to day, we realize that we are actually superheroes. You know, you've yeah. got kids, you've got grandkids, you've got another one on the way, you know, but I like to ask that as one of the first things that I do. And when some of my talks, when I'm talking about this is to say, you know, who here has kids? And when hands go up, I say, well, you made a human. Not only did you make a human, you taught that human to be a human. So you taught them to find food, shelter, water, you know, you teach them love, compassion. You teach them to be the human that they are. You teach them to speak. You're not going to be going around calling yourself an English language teacher, but you did teach somebody to speak. You taught them to walk. You taught them to do all of these incredible things that we do every single day that we find. Like, we just see as artifact. It's just something that is out there that we do. Yeah. But we have to be taught that. You teach people to be emotionally intelligent. You teach people to like themselves and to understand who they are. You know, we all do certain things in our lives every single day. At the moment as well, with the coronavirus, we're seeing it everywhere. People are coming together in their droves. People who would normally be sat behind phones, you know, looking at screens on the bus. They're coming together to make a combined effort, first of all, to stop the spread of the virus. But not only that, they're out there helping other people because, yeah. you know, people who are in wheelchairs, people who can't get out of the house. There's a website for volunteers who can put up where they are and what they have available to them as a resource. So I have a car, I can get out and walk, I can go to a local store, I can do these things. And they're delivering medication to elderly people. They're doing what they can to make the world a little bit better for everybody else. And we don't see this as a superpower. We just do it because it needs to be done. But you, that's a superpower. There are people in the world who don't do that stuff and you do it. You know, you look after elderly neighbors or your elderly parents, or you look after whoever it is that needs to be taken care of. You know, we do incredible things every single day and we just skim over them and we don't see them because they're just part of who we are. They're this gray existence we call self. You know, and then we think that we need to be happy. You know, we, we look. So <laughs> basically right. Superman was written about you and Superman was written about me and Superman was written about every single person who does any good in the world. Yeah, and that's what attracts me to this notion of being ordinary but extraordinary. We should be telling. And now I think even in a situation like the um, COVID-19 pandemic, we have the most amazing opportunity to share great stories about how we actually are still connected and how we come together for each other. There are some awesome stories. And just like you're talking about what's happening in Ireland, the same thing is happening here. I listened to local radio this afternoon where one woman said she was in the supermarket today, had to tell, uh, got up to the counter, got her groceries and then said to the cashier, 
Oh, I actually just got retrenched and they've closed down the club, the hospitality area that I've worked in. It was at the end of the transaction and she said the lady behind her had her credit card and she leant over and she tapped the FPOS and paid for this woman's groceries and smiled. She said, that has never happened to me in my entire life. And I'm just going, wow, there you go. It's pretty great. You know, little things like that don't always have to be around money, though. It's often around a meal. It's around a message. But, yeah, you're quite right. It's about what are our superhuman powers. And I think that's the call to action today, John. We ask everybody to think about what it is that they're going to stand in front of the mirror and tell themselves one thing that they are absolutely loving about themselves and then to think about what their superhuman power is, just like Superman. <laughs> I think that's what the call exactly. to action is. <laughs> Was it Gandhi said that so selfish is mankind, you can't do for another without doing for yourself. You yes. know, that's empathy. You know, yeah. we do something nice for somebody else. I was in Starbucks with one of the, she's the president of JCI Dublin, uh, Laura, and the two of us were just in the line and we went up, the place was quiet and the girl behind the counter had red hair, but it was in a plait and it was hanging across her shoulder. And I just told her her hair made her look like a Disney princess. Just, I say stuff like that to people all the time. I say it in the studio, I say it in the real world. (laughs) And she blushed and she kind of giggled and laughed and her friend was like, oh my God, you do look like a Disney princess. She was like Ariel from the Little Mermaid. Yeah. And she took that as a huge compliment that lifted her day. And look, it gave me a little bit of a buzz. It was kind of funny and I did it for a laugh. And, you know, I do that stuff all the time. I go through the toll booths on the motorways, the ones that you actually have to go up and talk to the person and pay because you know, that's an interaction with that person. They're probably not going to have a positive interaction. People come up, they hand them cash, they continue to drive off, or people go through the toll, uh, the the coin buckets, or they have the tags now. But going in and just saying thank you to that person is a huge thing. There's one lady, and I told her she has hair like Princess Diana, um, and that she's always lovely to me when I go through. So I'm like, you're very (laughs) friendly to them. You're always very friendly. Thanks very much. And it's little tiny things like that that make me feel good about the fact that I'm making somebody else feel good. And yeah. maybe that's being a people pleaser or maybe that's me kind of trying to overcome my own little issues or whatever. But, you know, it makes me feel good. And when I stand in the mirror in the morning, I'm able to say to myself, I make people feel good about themselves. And I like that about me. You know, that's my one thing to walk away from the mirror to every single morning. But these are all tiny little things that we can do all day long to make other people feel positive about themselves, to make them feel good about themselves and to break their cycle as well of negative self-talk because about 80% of our thoughts every single day are problems. You know, that's all that's we it. do. That's what evolution is, is we solve problems. The other thing with those is that until we solve the problem, we hold on to that thought because we need to fix the problem. But when well, we get it. a positive thought or something good happens, it comes and it goes and we don't need to think about it again because it has, has it had a resolution. It's come to a finality. You know, some, I won money or something good has happened to me. Well, that thought is gone now. I don't need to deal with that anymore. I, my brain doesn't need to hold on to it anymore because it's done. But we hold on to those negative thoughts until we figure it out. Like you watch a movie and you see a person in the film and you know their face, and you don't know what other movie they've been in. Now we can just take out our phones and Google it. But other than that, we just sat there, and we questioned who they are until it came to us. 
you know, or and we stop even when we stop thinking about it. Hours later, you're on a bus and you suddenly scream out Brad Pitt because people are, and everybody looks at you as if you're some sort of strange <laughs> lunatic. But it's your brain has still held on to that thought and it's still held on to the fact that you wanted to figure out who that person is or what film they were in. Yeah. Even though it wasn't at the fore of your mind anymore, it was somewhere working in the background, but it has eventually come around and your yeah. kind of synaptic connections have eventually, the neurons have eventually aligned together to tell you who it was or what it was you were trying to figure out. All we know about the, our negative emotions are that they are the ones that are sticky and they're hard to shift and they often take up most of our thinking, even though in the scheme, in the whole length of the day you may have only had one or two instances or issues that are the sticky ones but they stay with you and uh, can cloud over how positive or how optimistic your your day has gone you stay in that they're the hard ones i love the fact that um, i've learned such a lot just talking to you today so john i want to say thank you for that and also to say to our listeners, if they wanted to contact you further, John, um, what would be your best contact? Just don't hide in the hedge outside my house. That's uh, that's my only ask. Oh my gosh! Well, but from Australia, the they're not going to do that. I <laughs> <laughs> um, can get me on johnmarieheadshots.com. I have a link to all of my social platforms. Um, I just write a blog on my website. It's actually called the Inside Out blog. Um, Inside it's on my website. Or I have I vlog as well. So I do video logs on YouTube, but not really because I don't really post them there that much. But I do post them on to LinkedIn three times a week. So Monday, yes. Wednesday, and Friday are just every week. Yep. And I talk about whatever's in my head because I don't need to be talking about headshots all day long because that just bores people. So no. I get to uh, whatever weirdness is going on inside my head. Well, there's not a lot of weirdness. There's a lot of thinking and curiosity. And one of my, I was thinking today, one of my favorite quotes is from Dorothy Parker, who says, the cure for boredom is curiosity. And then there's no cure for curiosity. <laughs> I think you're it. <laughs> I think John Murray, there's definitely no boredom happening in your brain, in your life, and how generous you are with uh, giving yourself to others. On that note, I'm going to say how much it's been an absolute delight to speak with you. And I will be watching you on LinkedIn as we know each other from there. It's a great platform. It's a global platform. And there is so much that we have to offer each other and share around the world because you are an ordinary bloke doing extraordinary things in my book. So I want to thank you for that. As always, our Thriving Matters episodes are lots of fun, very informative. A little bit interesting, I would say, for some people who don't necessarily think that there would be somebody who does headshots and has a whole lot of science behind that, which is, to me, the most fascinating part of being alive. Listeners, thank you so much for your time this week. If you liked this episode, pop over and give us a thumbs up on Podbean or Apple Podcasts. You can find Carrie Benedette all over social media. Um, my best contact is Carrie at carriebenedette.com. I've really enjoyed our time together. Thanks, John, very much. Most sincerely, I wish you good health and I hope that the next months and uh, the rest of the year go as well as possible for you. So go gently, but have fun as you always do. <laughs> Thank you.
very much. Thanks All for right. having me. All right, everybody. Nice to talk to you again. And remember, your thriving matters, so give life a red hot shot. Bye for now.